This is a conversation between William Somdi and Thomas Pacquia, in Manhattan, New York. November 6, 2019. So, Thomas, today we're going to talk a little about that conversation, what is Bitcoin? And, you know, we always have those conversations of how to look at this thing. Yep. Is it a currency? Is it, uh, I don't know, digital gold, digital currency? What is it? Is it a protocol? What is it? So why don't you start? So I could start with my conclusion, which yeah. is it's just, it's money. It's money in a purely digital form. Uh, it's money as an internet protocol, which we haven't seen so much before. Yeah. So I think we have um, a lot of things that we still need to figure out about how this thing is going to work and play out. I yeah. Mean, we, we, can, we can use existing criteria, whether that's a legal criteria of what is a currency yes. or um, some sort of like plain language definition yes. for what, what, what constitutes a currency for us today. Yes. And Bitcoin, Bitcoin doesn't really satisfy the, you know, primary elements of what is a what is a currency in yes. today's society so yeah. it's a store of value it's a medium of exchange it's a unit of account uh, Bitcoin you can start to make the argument and this is a popular argument or, or meme like across the, the Bitcoin um, space um, that it is a store of value you have lots of people saying that it's you know a hard money or sound money whatever that means um, but uh, it's clearly not a unit of account. People are not really pricing things in Bitcoins or Satoshis. Yeah. Uh, enthusiasts try to force yes, that, of course. and that's fine. And that's how you measure. That's how you measure the unit of account for the Bitcoin protocol. But that's not how somebody would price something as a unit of account. Mm -hmm. um, a, a means of exchange is also a difficult one. Um, you know, for very large cross-border transactions, Bitcoin is competitive. It's mm. clearly competitive. You mean competitive in terms of transaction price? Transaction price and also the time to settlement is Got a big it. one. Mm. So you have settlement finality in, you know, depending on uh, your view of, of uh, I guess, the risks associated with, you know, confirmations and how other individuals would view what is a final settled Bitcoin transaction. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, we'll, we'll try and stay away from getting into the technical weeds too much, but that's six confirmations where yes. you have six other, you know, participants basically confirming that this is a, this is a valid transaction that has settled. Mm -hmm. So that is generally, it varies in time, but like within an hour you can have settlement finality under normal protocol circumstances. Uh, for a Bitcoin transaction. Yeah, but if we're both of us doing business in dollars and then during that time that transaction is done and we have a fluctuation in price in Bitcoin, so we'd have to argue how we settle that. Right. So I think those things make it like, okay. So, but, you know, two, two parties can agree to transact using pretty much whatever they want. Yeah. Right? They, they could be barrels of oil. Yes. You know, they could be paper that represents oil that you never have any, any intention of taking physical delivery of. We agree. So whether or not those two parties have the appropriate on and off ramps yeah. is almost 
outside the scope of whether or not Bitcoin could have that property of a currency. So we see people transact, I mean, people trade Bitcoin and Bitcoin gets transferred from one address to another um, all the time. Every, every 10 minutes, a new block is recording these transactions. So it is a medium of exchange for what is the difficult question. But you know, one thing I have is that I see that the community of people using Bitcoin or you say the hardcore Bitcoin, they haven't put out a very simple understanding for everyone to understand why should I need it. Yeah. You know? and, and again, I think unless this is settled, there is no even reason to look at it, yeah. you know, because it can still be that complicated thing that a few guys esoterically understand. But the concept is why should I care what Bitcoin is, what it is, why is it important for me to know? Should I buy? Should I not buy? You know, and I think that's the type of things I would like to solve today. And, and you know, and, and the reason I'm talking to you is because I know you're very deep into that. Um, it's a casual Wednesday afternoon. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> and we'll, solve, we'll solve the Bitcoin narrative in question. In question, you know, and, and especially because Ray Dalio wrote what he wrote yesterday. Yeah. It was about time someone said it, but okay, I think people yeah. in the Bitcoin community have been saying that for how long? Uh, it's been what, depending on who you talk to, the narratives change over time quite, quite, um, quite a bit. But I think you know we have, um, you know, that 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 Bitcoin hodler thesis or Bitcoin hodler investor mentality has um, been ranting and raving or quietly accepting what what Ray Dalio outlined in his blog post yesterday for at least a couple of years. A couple of that. years saying that if you have negative interest rate. Yeah. Which means what? Money is free and meaningless. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, this is very simple. We don't need to have seen financial math to understand that. Yes. You know, something that is paying me negative interest rate, that means I don't want it. Right. Right. But okay. people do want it. They can still buy things because it is that medium of exchange, it's that unit of account, it has the other properties of a currency, and I think we're in a weird world where we'll see how much the store of value really matters. Yes. How much, you know, faith in something that's taken, how quickly faith in something that's been taken advan uh, for granted for, you know, a couple of generations um, uh, can erode or collapse. If that what what is that? That, that, that money is money. Okay. At grayscale, the providers yes. of GBTC recently did a study, and I, I, you know, don't, I don't know what the control group or, or how many people were surveyed, but it was something like 30 to 40% still believe that the U.S. dollar is backed by physical gold and yeah. that you can redeem it for physical gold. So there is a abstract, gross misunderstanding of, of the what is money. properties of money. Yes. Um, that may be too complicated for well, at this point. Let's let's say it that way. So, we know how it started. That it stopped being backed. Bretton Woods in the seventies. Mm -hmm. So after Bretton Woods, they say money doesn't need any backing in physical asset. Mm -hmm. But what's the backing? So the way I perceive this thing is the money of an ecosystem called that a nation state. Mm -hmm is reliable as long as its economical, political, mm -hmm. and justice system is reliable. Mm -hmm. Because that means is how highly probable will I do business within that ecosystem. 
so the justice system is a really important thing that you exactly. said. Uh, you know, whether or not it could be um, the rule of law, the rule of law, whether or not it can enforce contracts, the, the contracts, social contracts, there whatever. Before Bretton Wood, you know, the thing that really shook the uh, the gold standard was you know World War One and World War Two. And nation states being able to, you know, default on their debt. I don't want to say without consequences. I mean, the money was destroyed because we were, you know, in global warfare. Yes. But you basically had side deals that were like, you know, screw these side debts. We need to get through this rough patch. Yes. And we'll figure it out on the other side. Yes. And, you know, without going into World War II history. Exactly. There was, you know, there were lots of side deals. There were entire islands and countries transferred from one empire to a new empire that was in a better shape. There were sovereign bankruptcies. Um, there was, you know, decades of, um, of, of rebuilding that went into it. And I don't know if anybody really, you know, considered the long-term consequences of what our new monetary system looked like. Mm -hmm. Because in many ways, there were much, you know, um, harder questions and you know harder um, um, projects that needed to be focused on, but from that period of time all the way up until Bretton Wood, we did we did you know I think move to a completely new technology. Mm -hmm. Like you know I, I view the U.S. dollar as it exists today to be a technological experiment in its own right. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a purely economic one. Um, it has benefited you know the United States and and other countries exceptionally well um, it hasn't been so kind to other uh, areas of the world or other uh, parts of the economy um, and I think that there's a real concern that the social structure that supports this uh, technology is ultimately corruptible just like any other long-term social project ends up being yeah but the thing is today we can argue that the justice system in the United States is one of the strongest ones. In this, in, in, in this country. Exactly. Yeah, it's good. Exactly. And, and, and that makes someone... It's not perfect, but it's good. Yes, it's better than... It beats most of the alternatives. Most of the alternatives. <laughs> and which makes it a place where people want to do business, and because they want to do business there, they will need the currency to exchange within those limits of that ecosystem. And that's one of the reasons I always think that if Bitcoin needs to be claimed as a currency, it needs an ecosystem first. Because yeah. otherwise, it's really hard to think. Because you have countries like um, that have incredible inflation, but to transact within those countries, you still need their money. Mm -hmm. Because they have an ecosystem. So because they have an ecosystem, they can establish what is the currency you need to transact. And well, that's let's, say you have, let's say you have like, you know, supply or critical medicine in Venezuela yeah. let's say it's this let, let's uh, for, for simplicity's sake let's let's leave this all on the black market um, like not necessarily like bad guys but people who are holding exceptionally valuable medicine yes are they taking bolivars for the medicine uh, like it's <laughs> we know they're not <laughs> <laughs> they're not even really taking Bitcoin I don't mean this to be like a, a, a pure a pure Bitcoin argument um, but you know, to the, to the question of why is Bitcoin something I should be interested in? You know, and what is the narrative for everyone to understand what Bitcoin is? And I personally couldn't settle on the currency one, but I think looking at Bitcoin as an hedge against the system going completely broke 
you know? And you say, I've heard people tell me, I think everything is going to be destroyed, and so that's why I buy gold. Okay, and I say, okay, let's imagine the end of the world. You have $50,000 worth of gold, and you're walking around with it, trying to do transaction with the next big guy down the corner. How would that go? Probably pretty difficult. Probably pretty <laughs> difficult. Oh, you may say, no, no, no. Yeah. Let's do this transaction, and then we'll settle it mm -hmm. where my gold is. Mm -hmm. Still in the same problem. Mm -hmm. But when I think of those scenarios, I see Bitcoin as something everybody will always take. Because it's from wallet to wallet. You can hold an enormous amount of it in very high denomination or just millions of it, which is a Satoshi. Mm -hmm. And you can transfer wherever you want. Mm -hmm. And you can be walking around and nobody knows. Mm -hmm. So for those people, I'm not saying I believe in the end of the world, I don't believe in the end of systems or everything, but if we would say, let me look for an edge, that's where I believe Bitcoin is a smarter edge, a smarter hedge against the system than gold. Yeah, I think so. And um, for, for, for a number of reasons, I think it's good emergency money. It's, it, it would be a, 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 an exceptionally shitty apocalypse money because you're still going to need electricity and the internet and yeah. for people to you know, want to keep the lights on. And, yeah. um, but it's, good future, <laughs> it's a good future money in that um, one thing that, uh, that you left out, I, 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 it, it does have those comparisons to gold and it is, you know, the, you don't have issues like custody, cost of carry, cost of transfer. It's heavy, it's cumbersome, it's not terribly easily divisible, but um, gold is, you know, relatively easy to counterfeit. And we've had a lot of issues with that recently where, you know, there's been gold bars that are certified from Credit Suisse or somebody, or PAMP, another big miner, um, that's inserting, you know, iron bars. No something. way. Yeah, of course. So, you know, you have, you have to basically melt it down or have special equipment to know that it's, you know, uh, it is what the other party says it is. Oh my God! With the Bitcoin network, one of the main properties is it's not um, it's not viable to counterfeit Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You can't inject new Bitcoin into the system um, based on how the verification process works. You can do a fork, but you can do a fork. But if nobody respects your fork, you have useless money. Yeah. You have you know. Um, I mean, unless you have, well, I mean, there's been plenty of forks that are useless and still valuable, yeah. but um, <laughs> you have, <laughs> yeah, that's a different uh, podcast though. Um, you have, um, you know, the ability to run your own node and yeah. become a network participant. And by doing so, you can validate for yourself the authenticity of Bitcoin that you uh, accept. Yeah, but that would be for a player that wants to, to build something completely different, his own ecosystem and everything. Yeah. No, but, but we're talking in, 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 the, in the reason, why would someone buy gold? Everyone I've heard say they would buy gold is because they're afraid of inflation, that means money not being worth anything. Yeah. It's because they're afraid of the end of the world. Yeah. That's the apocalyptic vision. Yeah. And I say in both cases, I see Bitcoin as a better uh, substitute than gold in that sense. Potentially. It's going to have to walk a, a fine line between, 
you know, um, good money in the system and bad money out of the system. So if, if Bitcoin becomes something that must be custodied at a bank or a financial institution and will have paper derivative products, that starts to look an awful lot like what happened to the gold market itself. Yeah, but you don't need that. You don't need that, but there, you know, there, there is going to be an inherent fight. I mean, you know, there are, um, there are uh, existential issues down the road if a new money starts to eat the existing money's pie. Yes. Um, who's going to control it? That's what you mean. Who's going to control it? How, does the, how, how do nation states collect taxes? How do they, um, how do they preserve a powerful tax through seniorage? Like, um, how, how, do, how do they continue to, you know, feed the beast, yeah. I guess? Yeah, but all, so. all those scenarios are scenarios where Bitcoin is widely adopted, you know, because to have a problem like that, that means Bitcoin is widely adopted. Yeah, or it gets squashed ahead of time. I mean, you know, th there are, it's interesting to watch these debates, like, play out. There are some people who see this, um, you know, in every country on Earth. And I don't, I don't view Bitcoin as something that's inherently adversarial. I think that it's a new asset class and it has a lot of the properties, same properties, that, that gold has. It's just a better version of gold for, you know, modern society. Mm -hmm. um, but it does, it, it, it does potentially threaten, you know, certain aspects of the economy. How? I don't see it. Well, through well, at least what, what, what are the reasons someone might think so? So one big push that, that I'd like to point to is, is, is uh, there's, there's a, a meme going around where these exchanges, uh, let me back up, Bitcoin exchanges have been centralized points of failure for quite some time. Yes. That's where... When you say centralized point of failure, that means where the attack and hackers go and steal money from accounts. Right. You rob the bank because the bank has money. Exactly. Um, it's a good place to go to get a lot of it because, exactly. you know... You know it, where it is. You know where it is. And, you know, this is, this is historically what has happened with Bitcoin exchanges. Yes. Mount Gox being a big one. There was, you know, one or two large uh, attacks against Bitfinex. And, um, you know, just any, any exchange or any chief security officer at any of these exchanges will tell you that they're under attack every minute of every day. Yes. All custodial solutions, you know, start knowing that if they are breached, it's not uh, email addresses and phone numbers they're losing, it's actual money, money this actual time. Actual value. Right, which is terrifying because we know, I mean, there's like just an endless list of incompetent companies like Equifax giving over what we thought was sensitive data, although it's not sensitive anymore because it's all ubiquitous yes. at this point. It's out there. So with Bitcoin, um, there, the value attaches directly to, to the data itself. So um, when you have a centralized uh, point of failure, a third party that is... Um, is 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 out there, uh, ready for attack? Mm -hmm. Then you're effectively creating just the new banking system that we'll have to operate with. Hmm. So, it's effectively um, the same situation that we had with central banks collecting gold and then printing paper to represent the gold. Um, Eventually, what would be the point of moving the Bitcoin if it wasn't assumed to be secure? So you were saying that at some point, maybe they start 
treating Bitcoin and monitor it the same way of someone telling you this is gold, someone telling you this is Bitcoin. And I was thinking, why is that necessary? Because the network in itself, the mining in itself, that's exactly what it does. So, there, yeah. Um, if we're talking about like a tax, like uh, mining works if it's if it's like somewhat distributed. It creates confidence in the network so long as there's not a, a majority miner. The problem with majority miners is they um, so over fifty one percent, or if you have you know a, a super majority like well beyond that, you will have the ability to uh, censor transactions, transactions that are you know allowed by whatever system is controlling the majority of the mining, uh, majority of the hash rate. How probable is that? It's, um, it's happened once before yeah. um, in the early days yes. um, by, uh, by a, a, a mining pool. Um, it really shook confidence in the, in the system. This was in, I don't even know, uh, 2013 maybe? Yeah. Um, 2014, 2012, around there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what they did was they uh, they lost a lot of, of hash rate. Like so, yes. members of the pool started to leave and join other pools because this was something that would shake the confidence of, mm -hmm. of the system. Um, you you could have reorg attacks, which means they the miner could you know effectively reassign value of, of Bitcoin um, from one address to another, or you could um, uh, you know prevent or allow transactions as you see fit through censorship. That is if you control 51% of the mining power. Right, right. Um, what is the biggest pool today? Probably... How much? Today? F to pool? Um, well, it's hard to say because um, it, it varies. I think it's somewhere in like the 30%. Um, range uh, last time I checked mm -hmm. um, but you know there's not a lot known about these different pools and mm -hmm. about the individual miners that are contributing to a pool mm -hmm. so there is always a concern that they are sort of in cahoots and there you know there could be uh, a central organization that controls multiple pools and gives the um, the appearance that there is uh, decentralization of exactly. miners. Um, we haven't had any, you know, immediately identifiable issues. But you know, but, but but I'm thinking about that. If you do that, and you control 51 percent, what you just did, you just destroyed the value of what you're holding. Because yeah. everybody just leave the network. Right. So there is so a in balance itself, of incentives exactly. where you, you stand to, to be far more profitable. You you, you by not doing by that. playing by the rules. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like those are the system that works because. The moment you control it, everybody lives, so you didn't control anything. Unless there's something more valuable at stake. Like what? Like taxes, like seniorage, like, you know, the, like a, a, an individual nation state to uh, have their, um, their currency be a primary export of that country. Um, it would be expensive, but relatively non-trivial for a large uh, nation state to set up a mining organization, a yes. mining operation that could, you know, meaningfully, uh, 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 you know, attack the network, especially in these but early days. To do what? I don't well, it would understand. be a 51% attack to censor transactions. Okay, so let's say you, you're a nation state. Prevent transactions. So you're a nation state. You control 51% of a network. Hmm. That's the only value of the network that no one is controlling it. The moment you do that, you destroy the network. So that, that would be a nation state that wants to destroy it. 
Yes, potentially, or control it, right? I mean, there could be, you know, it could be a different nation state, right? So it's, you know, easy to use examples because you have, you know, a leader right now, obviously with the U.S. dollar, but Russia, China, whoever, uh, doesn't like the status quo of the U.S. dollar being in control. So if they were to take over something like a Bitcoin, then use that against or as an alternative to the U.S. dollar's dominance in, you know, the... But, but again, the, let's, let's go to that, that, let's go to that, to that concept. So I see, why is it all over Latin America or all over the world people want dollars? Because they trust the dollar. Yeah. So it's a question of trust. Yes. So you want to beat the U.S. dollar, build an ecosystem that is more trustworthy. Yes. And or removes trust from the equation. Or minimizes trust, I think would be more Yeah, right. when you say minimize trust, you're saying minimize reduce, reduce mistrust. Reduce mistrust. Or, assuming, or assuming bad actors or, or, or self-interested actors. Yes. <clears throat> no, that means if you want to be a competitor of an existing currency, you have to make me believe it in your currency. Yes. And I have to trust it. Yes. So let's say an actor say the US dollar is predominant. Yes. Now I want to build a new one, which yeah. is Bitcoin, yeah. and I control Bitcoin. But the moment you control Bitcoin, you destroyed it because the trust is gone. Uh, I'm trying to understand people, why would people know. Um, oh, you mean if people know? If people know, yes. So you mean the way would be to control 51% and not let anyone know? Right, through you know a variety of pools and and mining operations that aggregate up to a single source. Or so let's say you do that. Along what those will lines. you do? You will transfer all the money to you. You don't have to necessarily transfer all the money. Um, you would just gain the ability to censor transactions and to allow the transactions that you, uh, to, to to prevent the transactions that you don't want to occur from occurring. How would you, you can do that? Erode trust. How would you do that? Yeah. Well, it depends you, on you, you do not you do not put it on the on the blockchain. In uh, right, so you would uh, so you wouldn't you wouldn't include that in a in block the of transactions, exactly. correct? So you wouldn't you wouldn't broadcast a transfer. So you know when a miner wins a block, basically yes. they have uh, a, a, a a set of un unmined transactions, yes. unvalidated transactions, yes. invalidated transactions, not invalidated, but yet to be included in a block transaction. But if you do that, you actually destroy the real value or the reason why I would want Bitcoin. So you see, I'm trying to see why would someone try to control something that is uncontrollable because the moment you control it, no one wants it. Because you start censoring, you start censoring. So these would be nation state attacks. Yes. Or they could be attacks from another uh, cryptocurrency um, if they were to. Exactly. You know, and this is something because they that, just you want know, to destroy it. They just want to destroy it. Exactly. They want the value to switch from one, one protocol to, to another. another one. Right. That I can understand. So you know, and yeah, this is yes. these are some of the silly attacks that are being launched out of you know some of the Bitcoin forks. Yes. Um, and they don't have any real viability because mining operations are so expensive yes. that on the whole, uh, miners will mine in good faith to recoup their sunk costs already. Exactly. So it's really a zero sum game. This is very expensive stuff. So right you now, have to I be, think, I think yeah. in, in terms of trying to start a fort with Bitcoin, the core being so much adopted, you need so much money in marketing. Right. You know, it's not even a technology issue. It's not even a, 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 a mining issue. It's a question of 
you need to sell me why I would use something new against something that has been proven against attack for years. Yeah. So this is actually, so th this was the, the latest wave of attacks which started back in 2016, maybe a little bit earlier, but they came to fruition yes. in 2016 through Bitcoin Cash and Bcash oh, So you SV. see those as attacks? Those are, in a way, attacks. Yeah. I mean, forks are, are in a way, um, you know. Attacking uh, the main. We're, we're gonna, yeah, we're going to go in a different direction. We're going to create something new. Yeah. I think, you know, these, there's a lot of let's value. Let's drain to liquidity. These. You know, it's yeah. like, let's try to drain liquidity from one pool to another one. Yeah. I actually think that, you know, these, these, these projects, these experiments are valuable because you actually end up learning a lot more from a failed experiment than you know, from something that works. Yeah. And like, how would you know that it's going to work and for how long? Yeah. So when these things fail and fail spectacularly, we actually learn a tremendous amount from them, which is why I really like these Bitcoin forks. Yeah. Which, which, but, but I know you, I know you. <laughs> In your case, you have, you have HODL capital. Yes. You know, so. Um, so, so, so HODL Capital is, a, uh, is an investment company that's focused primarily on, on Bitcoin, Bitcoin, core BTC, whatever you want to call it, but on, you know, the concept, the set of principles that come together and form these types of networks. Exactly. There, so there are, there are other ones that have similar, um, a similar approach and they'll have kind of the same set of principles that make a big B Bitcoin. But what they don't have is kind of a network effect and a, uh, a, a broad acceptance for, for, for what you know, Bitcoin is. You mean the forks? Um, yeah, but going back to what you said about the the marketing budget, you know, when when these um, when these adversarial hard forks or um, whatever you want to call them occurred, there were massive marketing budgets. There was a tremendous amount of value coming from the uh, the mining ecosystem in China the uh, the dominant chip manufacturer and 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 mining pool operator um, out of China put a lot of support behind uh, a fork and that failed and, and and why did that fail is a really important question um, and I don't think that there's I mean there's been a lot of talk and there's been a lot of kind of like applause and cheerleading around it failing to keep up with the the main chain keep up with you know Bitcoin proper yeah um, but was it because of technical shortcomings uh, was it because Bitcoin has already kind of entrenched itself as something that works yeah, I, I think I mean the level of, of adoption that you have right now and the free marketing everybody at least everybody know what Bitcoin is yeah somehow and when they ask them, it's something that goes up and yeah. then goes down. Yeah. Okay, so that's literally at least they've heard of it. Um, but and, and and I think those those attack, like you said it, and I, and I was laughing earlier when you said that because I know you. So at Huddle Capital, so you're you're long Bitcoin. You like Bitcoin. You know, you're sitting on a bunch of them. So every every time something else fail, give more value to what you have, which is which is which is the way to look at it. And we sure. <laughs> we've been we've been talking about that for the last I don't know two years at least uh, at least two years. And and you know we've been very sharp about what it is. It's yeah. different for you what it is for me. You yeah. Know, because for me, it's I look at it as. I can choose where to put my money in so many other things, including my company and things like that. So why would I put money in Bitcoin? Right. So I'll tell you the first time I did why I did it. 
So I think the first time I understood what Bitcoin is was 2014. And I was um, in Israel talking at the Bitcoin embassy and someone explained it to me. And they explained colored coin and then they explained the smart contract. And I said, oh my God, if smart contract is what I think it is, I have to have a piece of that somehow. Yeah. Because at some point, we will eliminate the need of trust to do business with anyone anywhere yeah. and the need of a trusting um, justice system. Yeah. And the way usually my brain works is the moment I have skin in the game, so I have a very hard uh, reason to learn pretty, pretty, pretty fast. Mm -hmm. So when I got in, I thought I understood a lot. And then when I got in, I started asking more and more until the point I understand what it was. I say, at some point, this thing, because that's what it is for me even today, is just a replacement for gold in my portfolio. You know? And all the technicality behind it, I know it just in case to know if someone is gonna attack my value. So the same way I understand when I hold dollars and the U.S. government is lowering interest rate, how does that affect my money? Right. Because those also are attack on right. your currency. Right. So when that happens, what do I need to do? Do I need to buy bonds? Do I need to buy stocks? Do I need to keep my cash in other currency? Do I need to be start selling, I don't know, options on, the, on my money? Right. You know, things like that. So when I understand all the inner working of the network of Bitcoin, it's just to understand the system. Right. But it doesn't affect my decision of having it. Because right. my decision of having it is just a hedge against if everything goes wrong. Right. And as you know, as a trader, if everybody believes it, when things start going wrong, what will happen? Yeah. They will make it go up. Yeah. And that's how hedges work. Right. Because people believe it is one. The that's memes it. are powerful. Exactly. The memes are effectively are like modern social movements, and you know, almost if they're if, if they're one hundred percent true or even eighty percent true is is almost you know secondary to whether or not they're yes. powerful and people believe them. But that's that's the position I take from it. Yeah. You know, and it's not. Um, and and you know me. I mean, we're both entrepreneurs, so. Uh, most of our energy and our asset and our value is in building our own companies. Yeah. Um, and then you say, okay, but if I fail, what do I do? So how do I hedge my position? Right. You know, and that's the way I look at it. I say, look, I have this here, which is uh, a hedge against if everything goes wrong at the global level. Right. You know, or if that perception starts to go up. Right. Because the moment that perception starts to go up, it's the same thing as if it's going to happen because all the assets that are perceived as a hedge will start to go up as well. Right. So that's just the way I look at it. And, and, but there is an issue with negative interest rate uh, because the moment you don't have, so I'll tell you my, my take on what's going on with, it, with negative interest rate. We talked about it last year, um, last week. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's good to talk about it right now because I, based on that conversation, I, I, I had a few more ideas. So what does that mean? Let's say I have a company that is losing money and that company is looking for debt for a loan to keep the company afloat. Right. Uh, let's say it's a non-investment grade <laughs> bond. Right. Uh, that means it's a company that is not doing that well mm -hmm. and needs money to keep things running. So there is so much money floated 
in the system that people are lending. When you say people, let's say the system is lending to a company like that almost for free. Right. Okay? So there's two ways to look at that. One may say, from one point of the economy, imagine like the economy is like a balance. From one side, I have cash. And from the other side, I have production of the economy. Mm -hmm. If I have more cash than production of the economy, the value of money is less. Right. Because I have more cash chasing less interesting things. Right. When I have a lot of interesting things looking for money, the value of money is higher because there are better ideas, a lot of ideas competing to get money. Yeah. What we have today in the economy is we have very little good idea and a bunch of money. Yes. So most people are willing to give money to what appears as a good deal rather than a good deal because there aren't enough going around for the amount of money we have circulating. Right. So here is goes the big debate. One debate might be let's reduce the amount of money. Because if we reduce the amount of money, it will equate the real businesses out there that need money mm -hmm. and you will reestablish the value of money. Mm -hmm. But this comes at a cost because it will make a reduction in the economy. Mm -hmm. Because you will have less money circulating and all those companies that have been flooded with cash but are not profitable will start going down and the economy will have a consequence on it. Right. But what would be the logical solution? The logical solution would be how can we create more good and sustainable ideas that need capital to actually grow. Mm -hmm. And as long as we don't solve that, which is the real root cause of the problem, right. the only thing we can do is try to solve it with liquidity. Right. So we keep like intensive care, the economy still breathing. Yep. When we know in the end, if we don't start seeing real business people with new idea massively, massively floating the economy with ideas that are sustainable, money in itself will be questionable and the whole system might be questionable. Sure. Because I stopped trusting everything and sure. then you run again. Okay, so instead of a run from a bank, you know, it's a run on the system because you say, you know what? What if everybody really show their numbers? We've already had the run on the system. Though. What do you mean by that? Pretty much we every, work? Huh? We, we work? work? I know. If you nah, can't trust, come on. If you can't trust <laughs> just, Adam, who can you trust? <laughs> That's just one case. <laughs> <laughs> no, all the newspapers, all the you know, government institutions, I think some of the most highly respected institutions and sources for truth have been you know uh corroded more in the last you know five to ten years then we, we we've had a complete reset and i think that we're left with a lot of really kind of dark and fearful uh outlooks it's something a little bit nihilistic right now yeah. in terms of like what it's going to look like on the other side um I'll tell i think you we have some some good 
solutions to it. I think that a lot of, you know, that doesn't mean that people are inherently like, you know, depressive or, or yes. in, this, in this dark space, but yes. I do think that, you know, we are left without our, um, our uh, treasured institutions, like yes. many of us. I'll tell you what makes me, what made me take this seriously, Brexit. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because the English people is paying an enor enormous economical price to right. do Brexit. Right. So what are they afraid of? What are they seeing? Right. You know, and, 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 and in my life, I've never seen anyone stupid. I've seen people smart, and I've seen people with different incentives. Yeah. I've never seen someone stupid. Uh, even when you think they're stupid, when you start talking to that person, you start understanding their incentive, you say, actually, it's a very smart person, but probably maximizing the wrong incentives. Yeah. So when I look, what is it that the British government and all the people that voted for that are trying to protect themselves against? I think it's a failure of the system. I think that the EU to the EU is a large, uh, far-reaching project that has been very, very good to some people and, and, and uh, some cultures and, and countries and economies, and has been an abject lie to others. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it wasn't able to serve a unified uh, product that. What coincided with the unified vision that what they were putting. A, oh, you mean the vision of what the EU the vision of be the EU of a unified everyone. Europe yeah. is is kind of like the meme, the social movement yes. that really took hold. Uh, you know, after you know the Maastricht Treaty or yes. you know post World yes. War II, it made a hell of a lot of sense. Yes, um, they the, the these countries after you know two rounds of, of pure cataclysm had more in common. Then yes. they didn't. Yes. Um, but as things progressed um, over the next, I don't know, fifty years, hundred years, um, not quite a hundred years, fifty years. Um, you know, I, I think that the reality of what the EU was able to accomplish and deliver was, um, you know, severely lacking what was promised in that vision. For an extended period of time, and I think it benefited some countries exceptionally well, and those are the ones fighting really hard to keep it as a cohesive unit. But um, you know, there has been—it uh, it makes sense for the UK to distance themselves first because they're not Europe; they're not continental Europe. They yes. have always been separate and, and distinct. At least they have always had that as part of their their, their core culture. identity. Exactly. Um, so seeing them pull away from it, and seeing some of the um, countries on the periphery start to talk about it the same way. You see a lot of the countries around the periphery of the EU have much more of a hardline nationalist government take hold. Mm -hmm. um, and that is in direct conflict with the vision that I guess Europe has. Uh, I thought we were talking about Bitcoin. Yes, <laughs> but we are talking about Bitcoin. We are talking about Bitcoin. What we're saying is, what? It, why would I care about Bitcoin? Yeah. And the only reason I say I care about it is how many people perceive it as a hedge against the system is not believable anymore. And that's the only reason I can give myself whenever I looked at it. One one cool thing about Bitcoin is that it doesn't have an institution. It's not. It's not. It doesn't something, need one. It, it it doesn't need one. 
you know, so a there's lot of nothing people, to be failing. Yeah, a lot of people who are in favor of this like Web three movement, you know, point to these um, trust. Uh, models. And, yes. You know, the first trust model is really peer-to-peer. -peer. I know you, I build a relationship, I trust you. Yes. Um, the second one is the hierarchical one. Yes. You know, um, I, I, I know that lots of people want to go to Harvard because it's old and they produce quality, um, well-educated, upstanding citizens for centuries and they get lots of applications and they only take the cream of the crop, which is always true forever. Um, except it's not com not true at all. But you trust you trust them to you know produce people who go to other you know institutions. They go to Morgan Stanley. They go to J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs. They go to the best law firms. They get to, they get to go to the best companies. And there's a hierarchical trust model built into a peer-to-peer -peer dynamic where you don't have to trust, you don't have to spend all the time to get to know the individual and understand their qualifications. Their qualifications are vouched for by to the another brand. brand. To exactly. the brand, yeah, exactly. know, which is why I buy Nike. I buy Nike yeah. because I know it's Nike. Yeah. You know, and um, I buy Adidas, I buy Porsche. Yeah. You know? So it's like uh, we're saying the vetting builds the brand and the brand, everybody associated with that brand gets some of that yeah, uh, trust. So this 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 third this third trust model that that's being pushed. I don't really think that it's you know a third model. I think that it actually just facilitates the peer to peer model a little yes. bit more. It allows you to interact with other individuals or other entities on a bilateral basis because you can verify certain certain truths in the encounter. So that's that's way complicated. I didn't understand anything you said. Can yeah. you say that another way? Not sure I understood what I said. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> no, I, you know, it goes back to that concept of, of, of counterfeiting that we talked about before. Yes. You can you How, can verify verify peer to peer yeah. is this true or not? I don't need yeah. a third party. Yes. Exactly. That's, that's exactly the point. It's exactly. direct validation. Right. You know, and thinking talking about end of the world, I say in prison, you know, when you watch TV What's the currency? What what are people are trading? It's like cigarettes or drugs. Cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or herring. Uh, no, the, when Charlie Shrem was in prison, he yeah. traded like a tin fish or something. <laughs> like yeah, canned herring. You know, and I keep and I keep going back and I keep going back to that idea that you're trading you're trading cigarettes. Yeah. All of a sudden, cigarettes have more value than money yeah. inside prison. Right. Because no one will take your money. Right. Because they will ask you, why do I do with it? Right. There's nothing I can buy in here with it. Right. But I know what to do with my cigarettes because I go, this guy wants to smoke. Right. And that's the same thing I see as Bitcoin. Right. Compared to gold. Right. Because in the end of the world, why do I want Bitcoin? Because everybody will want it. Everybody will want it. You know, it's simpler to transfer. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you believe that there is such a thing that the system can really collapse, so that is for each person to decide how much they believe in that or not, yeah. assign a probability to that, and that's the hedge in your portfolio. Yeah. But for me, that's the vision I have with Bitcoin. Yeah, if the system continues to operate the way that it currently operates, you get the benefits of censorship resistance, you get the benefit of being able to validate for yourself hold for yourself uh, you know your your own wealth 
you have something that is not so tightly correlated with the existing financial system. That's definitely a reason. Really difficult to decide, you know, you've done really well with Apple. It's time to take some profits out of Apple. Yeah. Where do you put it? Yeah. Do you just hold cash yeah. and they print more and more cash? Well, I know what I would do with that. We're, we're, well, put it into Bitcoin? No, into Apple <laughs> into, again. Into cigarettes? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what else would you do? Yeah. You know what I mean? There's it's nowhere like, to put it. It's like when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm telling a friend, look, like Berkshire has $128 billion in cash. Yeah. And this is the, one of the smartest investors around. What is he telling me? You well, know, he's made his he's made his entire fortune by having lots of cash when nobody else does. Exactly, because he's saying this is too high. Yeah. So what else do you do? Buy Berkshire because every dollar you give him, some of him is cash. Yeah. So you you know when the downturn comes, because it will come, he will deploy it for you. Right. Again, that's a way to look at it. That's right. the way I look at the very very simple things. Right. You know, so I have a very complex problem, which is when do I trigger the market? Right. Okay, I just buy Berkshire, right. and you'll take care of that. Right. So if the end of the world is coming, what do I do? I buy Bitcoin. How much do I believe? Well, based on that probability is how much Bitcoin I have in my portfolio. I think that but I know your, exactly case right. is, your case is not the same because you're running a hedge fund that is trading Bitcoin. Well, it, sure. It's a, so, so that we means do you're 100%. We do, if we, well, <laughs> for, for the fund, yes. I mean, if yes. we were talking about portfolio management for like a family office. Or no, that's totally network, different. That, that, that's different. But exactly. for the fund, yeah, our mandate yeah. is very squarely focused on, on Bitcoin yes. and, uh, you know, infrastructure projects that, you know, further uh, secure or make the money better, faster, stronger. Yes. Um, so, yeah, in our case, we you know, love the stuff. Yes. But for, for somebody else, you're absolutely right. I think that this is a brand new technology. There are lots of ifs. I think for as much as we really like Bitcoin, we yes. have probably the most pragmatic approach to, to you know, uh, what the existential threats are. Um, you know, I, I would say something because I like when you said we're using the word technology and, and we have to make the separation. So when we're talking about technology, when you say technology, you see money as technology, you see a contract as technology, you see all those things are technology. Yeah. You know, and, and so I wanna point that out because it's like, we can say also, Bitcoin is just a new asset. Yeah. You know, it's just a new asset, a new asset class. Yeah. Because when you say a house is an asset, a house is an asset based on the technology which is called private property. Yeah. You know, that is the network that is guaranteeing that my house is my house and your house is yours. Yeah. That's the technology below it, which is called the rule of law, the bill of rights, and yep. all those things yep. that sustain private property and freedom on it. Yep. So the network of Bitcoin is actually the technology like the justice system sustaining the value of yeah. why a Bitcoin is yours and mine. Yeah. That's the same thing. It's a pretty dumb communication network that, yes. that keeps track of the what unit is of account of Bitcoin exactly. moving from a Bitcoin address to another exactly. Bitcoin address, which, you know, right now it's difficult, you know, I, I, I balk at questions in, ter in terms of what is it, um, because in the broadest sense is that it's just money. Yes. It's a communication network that allows you to make statements to other people that respect the network. And for individuals that respect the network and want to hear these, you know, statements of, you know, transfer from one to another, then, you know, eventually that can be something of value. And that's that what fine. we've seen. Yeah. Uh, you know, for now, you know what I will stay with? Right. <laughs> Bitcoin.
is cigarettes if you want or gold. Can't smoke Bitcoin. <laughs> Can't smoke Bitcoin. You don't get the properties of nicotine out of it. Take care, brother. Take care. What follows is a more technical exchange William and Thomas had later. I think people just stumble into things. <laughs> no, but what do you mean it's a form? So it's like a, um, it's a place where things are said. Um, so a Bitcoin transaction is, you know, a couple of, a couple of data points. It's, you know, my public address holds an amount of Bitcoin. Yes. I want to send it to somebody else's public address. Mm -hmm. How much Bitcoin do I want to send? Say, you know, all the Bitcoin. One, I have one Bitcoin in my public address. I have, you know, your public address. So that's three data points. Yeah. Right? And then I need to <coughs> sign it, basically. I need to have the authority to say something to the network. And, and, and why would they care, really? Network doesn't care about my public-private key pair, per se. It, it cares about the chain of custody, how that Bitcoin came to find itself in my wallet. Yes. All that work's already been done yes. up front, though. It's validated yes. the last transaction. So now I have an unspent you know, transaction output, which yes. is effectively, I have a Bitcoin that I can send to somebody else at yes. some point. So when I broadcast that transaction, I'm just saying to the network, Give somebody else a UTXO. Yes. And it works differently. That's how it works in Bitcoin Core. It can work differently depending on the other implementations. We'll give a plug for LibBitcoin, which yes. doesn't use a UTXO model. Um, but effectively, what you're just what, what you have is a mechanism for recording thoughts that are spoken to a community. Yes. But again, I I I I completely understand. But it's the or same statements. thing. It's yeah. the same thing as the as the internet. Yes. No, it's messages from one point to another. Well, the messages on the internet are, are, are more of like requests, right? I'm looking for something, send that to me. Send mm -hmm. me that information. Mm -hmm. um, this one is, uh, is keeping track of, you know, statements of a, you know, finite amount of resources that are being sent from one to another, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that unit of account being Bitcoins mm -hmm. to, and to strap, it bootstrap the network, it, it had, you know, uh, it was, you know, front loaded or more were being released in the first four years than there were in the next four and so on and so forth so that people congregate in that protocol, in yeah, that so, so that was how it was adopted because it was very... Yeah, so that attracted people and you have infrastructure of yes. it. And why does that infrastructure matter? At the end of the day, this is just a new type of money. But how do you bootstrap a money? What does money look like in the communication era, in the internet era? It's just a, a message. A message. Yes. Um, but what gives that message the properties of money is kind of the, I guess, interesting aspect of this. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's scarce, really a it's finite. And it has that scarcity built into a number of properties. But I don't understand the scarcity part. I mean, I don't understand. I mean, the value of a currency is not its scarcity. It's its trustworthiness. You understand? The value of an asset can be scarcity. But you need to have enough liquidity for the amount of transaction you need to do within an ecosystem. So scarcity in itself doesn't define a currency. So those are two. I think those are two different I think those are two different topics. The first one being um, 
you know, relating to scarcity. I think that the, the 21 million supply of Bitcoin that will ever exist is actually less important than block space scarcity. Mm -hmm. So every 10 minutes, there's a new block which references, you know, previous transactions, yes. how those Bitcoin came to be, where they currently are, why that person is sending it somewhere else. Um, that's what the blockchain keeps track of in roughly 10 minute increments. There's a new, you know, uh, uh, page of the accountant's ledger that's appended to the end of that um, and releases kind of new information of where these rights to say a thing to mm -hmm. the network currently reside. Mm -hmm. That so that's space the, is that's limited. Scarcity. That space is limited. Okay. So every 10 minutes you can only have a certain amount of people who say a thing to the network. Okay. Everybody hears it, yeah. and that's how everybody stays current in that one conversation that's happening. Okay. On top of that, you have the concept of overall asset scarcity, the, the 21 million, million, but you have more of a, temp a, a temporal component of yes. scarcity through block space, which I think is, um, which is an important part that, that sometimes gets overlooked. And why is that valuable? Why does that help Bitcoin have value? So that helps by really kind of incentivizing those that create the infrastructure for that forum. Um, so, you know, if you have lots of people that want to say a thing, then yeah. they want to, you know, who, who wants it bad enough is going to be whoever oh, attaches. Oh, going to pay you more. Transactions. So pay. their right. message goes first. Yes. But that money goes to the miners. Yes. Yes. So what is really meaning is, okay, so now I know what you're solving with that reasoning. So what you're solving with that reasoning is why would people keep doing it even when the 21 million is done? Correct. And that's a very interesting thing because that's one of the reasons they say once the 21 million is done, there's no more incentive Correct. to keep the network going. Yeah. But what you're saying is because of that, the urgency, that limit will always create value for people holding the infrastructure yes. because they will have a very different level of price in terms of how fast yes. you want your message to go. Yeah. Okay, I, think I, that think the, I think the block subsidy, that, that amount of Bitcoin that gets released into circulation needs to be irrelevant to a certain extent mm -hmm. because it goes away we yeah. see it going away through kind of the inflation schedule of Bitcoin we're yes. coming up on another having event yeah and in a exceptionally mature uh, so is it going away so at some point you say they will push the limit from 21 million to more is that what you're saying or no, no? some people say that I don't know don't. and I, we I don't agree. I don't it, agree with that, that that could be a way to in it, yeah you know, that sounds like you know more of what we currently have yeah like the ecosystem needs to test the concept of uh, of simply relying on transaction fees rather than you know this exactly like, you know false assumption that the block subsidy is why miners continue to what's the block subsidy so the block subsidy is the amount of Bitcoin that gets released into circulation okay. every, every block. Yes, yes. So in the first reward era, it was 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. Yes. And then 25, yes. 12 and a half, yes. 625, so yes. on and so forth. Yes. And it, and it gets cut in half a roughly every four years. A friend of mine wrote a paper years. on that, saying that it's going to be the price to do the service. Yes. It's yeah. a utility. Yeah, the utility of it. That's why it keeps. It will keep the network. It's the same thing as why do I pay my taxes? So if you think I about, I pay it, my taxes living in the United States, for, for the, the only reason of the services that are done, keeping record of my money, of you know, of my service, of this is yeah. mine, the property. Best subway system in the world. Best hospitals and schools. That's where all the taxes go. Yeah, but also <laughs> to keep to keep the record of who owns what. Yes. 
so you can you can defend yourself i mean there's a justice system it's it's really to make the contracts relevant yes agreed so so yeah it's totally logical that's where it should go so those transaction fees kind of incentivize the kind of creation and continued maintenance of this totally that's for people to continue to transact yes that's that point makes it totally clear because i've heard so many times people saying once you have 21 million there's no more incentive to be there i mean i think that is underestimating the creativity of the human race you know what i mean so if lots of people <laughs> if lots of people respect this you know the, this this place to you know communicate to communicate transfer, exactly. transfer value they will pay a fee. They will pay a fee. And, and they will pay for speed. Right. Totally agree. How badly you want to have that transaction, how quickly you need that transaction of memorialized course. becomes an issue. Exactly. And then we open up a can of worms with yeah. you know, what, what, what is and is not valid. Yeah, and, 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 and I ask myself also, just to make that, that network interesting, you know, as people start paying more, I should get some dividend for holding my Bitcoin. So it's like the miners probably have an incentive, yeah. but you, they should be sharing. It's like, if I'm holding a bunch of Bitcoin, it's like having a CD. Yeah. I should get some dividend based on the transaction fees that the people are paying. It doesn't have to be a lot. The miners should pay us? Is that what you're saying? Of course. How so? I, I, I love the idea. Let's see it out. <laughs> Let's see it out. Because what I'm, what I'm saying is, me holding Bitcoin makes it relevant for people to have transaction in that ecosystem, mm. okay? So one benefit is the price going up, of mm. course. But also the miners have a, a free flow, constant free flow of that. So they should incentivize everyone else to keep the system going with them. And I think any miner that come with that type of dynamic, I don't know, it's like, you know, it's like we're really thinking about it because for this to be interesting, everybody has to win. Right. And the way to win only to price movement is not sustainable because you do not control market movement. But you can control flows of feed paid and the distribution of how those fees are paid to keep the network more and more solid because everybody has a stake to keep it solid. You know? And I, I think those type will, of design make sense. People will use the money that's probably the cheapest to use for a certain circumstance. Yes. One of the reasons why Bitcoin hasn't taken hold in the U.S. is because we have a pretty good system of credit cards with loyalty points, super convenient, pretty much everywhere has a point of sale that accepts it, yes. can just use your phone at this point for, for most of these things. Um, for and you know I referenced this earlier for for, for large cross-border transactions there's not many mechanisms you yeah. use a, 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 a network of correspondent banks to send yes. US dollars and that's pretty much it yeah you can put gold on a plane I don't know you can hide diamonds you in can the, do the diamond, diamond. Yeah. diamond. I mean, you can do diamonds the diamond those, is cool those are worthless as but well it, it, except that they're going down right now and you know, yeah we'll see make it in a lab exactly so <laughs> <laughs> so um, but this offers an alternative network to transfer value and for that say use case Western Union is just the banking system Western Union accesses that corresponding network and they'll have basically you know points of conversion yes. where they'll pay out you know cash a lot of people use Western Union if they don't have access to that large banking network because mm -hmm. those bank accounts are very expensive yes so for unbanked and underbanked individuals that, that can't access the, that that network 
then um, you know they'll go and use something that um, has, uh, I guess, more more ubiquitous you know entry and and, yes. and exit points, yeah. and they pay a you know ridiculous ransom for that fee. Mm -hmm. um, that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah, I think it's very interesting that 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 point of why why that network will still be around and it will only be around as the incentive mechanism to keep everybody engaged in it start making sense for everyone more and more mm. but again then you have how do we make them happen you know because there is no central authority you know how do we agree on those type of design we'll see it's gonna be interesting. We'll see. I think a lot of these things are gonna take a very long time to play out. We have conceptually, I think the foundation conceptually is there. Yeah. Um, but it takes a long time to figure out if we have the right balance of incentives yeah. or you know where the where the uh, existential risks uh, you know truly are. Yeah. Um, I think that we're getting good at identifying certain certain potential points of failure yeah. for Bitcoin. It's it's a situation where if you talk to some of the core developers, yes, you mean at in, at, at at the code level, at the code level, yeah. you know, if you talk to some of the, the the core developers, I think they see problems everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> and they are less enthusiastic about the continued success. Then if you talk to somebody who's more of like a libertarian, you know, Austrian economist, yeah. Um, Everybody needs to remain, you know, practical and you know, eyes wide open with you know the development of this technology. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, you know, got a lot of potential, but it's still extremely early. Yeah. Okay.